This morning's message is called Accepted in the Beloved. This is a testimony message. I'm going to talk about myself a lot. <laughs> While I was preparing for this message, I kept asking, Lord, okay, Lord, what is it you want to say? I've been ministering at the children for the last month, and usually the Lord tells me the week before where to start looking for what he wants to feed his sheep. I wasn't able to start last week. I had to start this week. The Lord just said Ephesians. So I read Ephesians, and I read Ephesians, and I read Ephesians, and it's like, okay, Lord, any time now. <laughs> this went on for two days. Lord, what, what are you saying? It's very frustrating when you know you can't just preach anything. You have to preach what God says. <laughs> what is the message for this week, Lord? And the Lord says, I want you to minister to them what I've ministered to you. And I'm like, Oh, that's like kind of like being naked. <laughs> but that's what this is. I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to be accepted in the beloved and how knowing this truth changes the way we approach challenges and rejection in our life. Ephesians 1 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We're going to start out by looking at the first part of this verse. Praise is the spontaneous reaction to the revelation of grace. When we recognize his grace towards us, we cannot help but be thankful and grateful and full of praise. When I first began to get the revelation of the message of grace and uh, the fuller understanding of the message of grace, I would just sit for hours and say, thank you. That's all I could pray. Thank you. I had worked so hard for so long, not for my salvation, but for his acceptance, for his approval. And then to find out I had it all the time. <laughs> and when you see that, when it becomes real in your heart, you find you can't pray anything other than thank you. You're so good. Thank you. You're so loving. Thank you. You're so kind. Thank you. You gave your life for me. Thank you. You've made me your own. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Way back when, I became a Christian as a young adult. I had accepted Christ at age 10, but I didn't know nothing. That's really good English. I didn't know nothing. <laughs> I wasn't churched. I wasn't discipled. So I lived like an unbeliever because I didn't know what I had. But the church the Lord originally put me in was a little holiness church. And when God puts you in a church, there's all kinds of reasons he puts you there. You would be surprised. <laughs> all the things he has in mind when he places you in a church. He had all kinds of reasons for placing me in this little holiness church. But what I learned from my little holiness church is that they taught that the entire Bible was what you lived by. That there was no separation of Old Covenant and New Covenant. It was all mishmashed together. <laughs> so I believed what they taught me because I, I didn't know nothing. And, <laughs> and one of those things that they taught me was Isaiah 59.2. But your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now this was a very emphasized teaching. I was taught if I sinned, God suddenly didn't hear me anymore. He didn't hear my prayer. I had to go get right. <laughs> I had to go make myself right 
before he would hear my prayers. Complete lie, by the way. But I was taught that when I sinned, I lost my fellowship with God. So I had to be constantly on guard for sin. I don't want to be separated from the Lord. So I have to be really careful now to watch everything I say and everything I do and everything I think. I have to be so careful all the time. You have to be on guard against sin. And that was the mindset that I was taught. If that's your mindset, guess what you're going to find? (laughs) You're going to find sin. (laughs) Because the other thing that was emphasized was perfection. God's perfection. He wants you to walk in his perfection. So what the message I heard was, watch out for sin and be perfect. This is a very bad combination. <laughs> because I was never perfect. No matter how hard I tried, and I tried really hard, I tried really hard to be perfect in all of my ways, to be perfect as he is perfect, to be holy as he is holy. I thought I had to make this who I was. And that's a struggle that you can never win. You can never make yourself perfect. You can never make yourself acceptable. And you can never make yourself holy. That's God's job. (laughs) But I was a really good Pharisee for myself. I was always looking for the sin. And I was always finding it. I was always trying to be perfect. And one of the ways that I was continuously not perfect was in the area of my weight. I've struggled with my weight my whole life. I'd go down, you go up. You go down, you go up. So when I was at my ideal weight, I'm acceptable to God. Gain a couple pounds, up, suddenly unacceptable to God. (laughs) You go on a diet, okay, acceptable to God. Gain weight, up, unacceptable to God. (laughs) Talk about miserable. When you think your father won't hear your prayers because you weigh too much. What I really believed was that God tolerated me. I knew that he loved me. But I thought he just really put up with me in the meantime until I got to that perfect state. I'll tolerate you. I still love you, but you're not acceptable. So you just keep working hard. And when you get acceptable, I'll let you know. That's not Christianity. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I did not know then what I know now, that the grace of God teaches us how to live, not the law. In Titus 2.11 it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. The grace of God trains us, teaches us. The grace of God does the work. I don't do the work. The grace of God does the work. And what does it help us to do? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Because I didn't know this truth, and I was always falling short of God's absolute perfection. I was constantly repenting, quote-unquote. I was taught repenting was being sorry. So if I was really sorry, if I beat myself up sufficiently, punished myself verbally, rejected myself by judging myself unacceptable, and I did it long enough and hard enough, that God would forgive me. I remember being in altars and saying, how do I know How do I know when I've reached that sorry enough stage where my father says, I accept you? They didn't have an answer. Well, if you're sincere enough. Well, you have a sincere meter I can use? (laughs) Do you have a sorry meter? So I know I've reached that pinnacle where my father will accept me? They didn't have any good answers. (laughs) 
They did their best. They loved me. And they taught me that all of my answers were in the Word of God. The theology I was taught back then was that Jesus came and died to forgive me of my sins. And he and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me to give me the power to fulfill the law. Not to have life and life more abundantly. God's given you the Holy Spirit. You can keep this law now. It's not working, Jesus. <laughs> That's because that wasn't why he gave me the Holy Spirit. That's not why Christ came to live inside of me, so I could keep a law. But I could know my Father, and I could know my God, and I could know the power of his salvation, that nothing is impossible for those who believe, that I am a daughter of the Most High God, and I can do all things through Christ. That's why he came to live inside of me. Not so I could keep rules and regulations and try to make myself something. My focus on the law only led to more and more failure and more and more repenting and more and more being really sorry <laughs> and more and more trying hard. A little hamster wheel. You fail, <laughs> you repent, you try hard. You fail, you repent, you try hard. That was my Christian life. In Romans 7, Paul talks to us about the law. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, in the same way, just like this, what I'm going to tell you now is just like this. <laughs> That's what that means, my brothers. You have died to the law, to the body of Christ. You have died to the law. The law no longer has any claim on you as its master. You don't have to submit yourself to a bunch of rules and regulations in order to try to make yourself holy, perfect. And acceptable but it is through only the body of Jesus Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God for while we were living in the flesh this means somebody who has not yet received Christ when we receive Christ God takes us out of the flesh and puts our life and his life in the spirit we don't jump in and out of the Spirit. <laughs> we can walk according to the flesh, but we no longer live there. Our source of life, who we are, now is in the Spirit. So when he says, when you were living in the flesh, pre-Christ, all of our sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Sin always brings death into our lives. But now that we are released from the law, hallelujah, we, having died to that which held us captive, slaves to the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. People always want to say, well then, how do you know what to do? How do you know what's right? If you don't have all these rules and regulations to show you how God wants you to live, how do you know what to do? The new way 
Instead of the law, we have the Spirit. It is grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness. It is the Spirit that leads us into all truth. It is life of God in us. That's how we know. We don't throw the old covenant away. It all points to Jesus. But it's not meant as a means of acceptance for the believer. Romans 8, 8 says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who have not yet received Christ (laughs) cannot please God. Why? Because what is it that pleases God? Faith. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's what a Christian is, somebody who has the Spirit of Christ. So, because I didn't know any of this, I stayed on my little hamster wheel. I went round and round and round. Part of the problem was that I saw that my forgiveness of sin and God's approval of me were two separate things. I knew Jesus died to take away my sin, but I had to constantly be on guard to keep myself clean, keep myself in his forgiveness, which was not true. So I thought I was forgiven, but unacceptable, unless I was walking the chalk and not falling off. I was a lot like the Israelites in the Old Testament. Lots of believers are like the Israelites in the Old Testament. They added hundreds of laws to the law to keep them from breaking the law. (laughs) They just kept adding laws to make themselves better, stay away from sin. If I have all these extra rules and regulations, I'll never get it to the point where I will cross the line in sin. Christians do this. We make up our own laws. They are not good. (laughs) They're not only not necessarily good, they're not good. One of the laws that I've heard all my Christian life was that good Christians get up early every morning to have time with Jesus. That's great if you're a morning person. (laughs) I cannot tell you how long and how hard I tried to get up early before my kids went to school, to get up early before I went to work, to spend time with Jesus. And then I'd have to repent all day long for falling asleep. I'd have to repent all day long because I didn't love Jesus enough to stay awake. God, you're going to have to fix me. I can't do this. My internal clock says, stay up till 2 and get up at 10. (laughs) My clock says, we love Jesus about 10 o'clock at night for about three hours. Yeah, no problem. 4 a.m., really? No way. My brain is not awake. Now, my husband, if we go by these good Christian rules, he is just a student. Loves to get up at 4 o'clock. Loves to get up at 4 o'clock. I can't do it. But I was taught good Christians get up early. I was the not-so-good Christian. I had my devotions at other times. I finally just gave up because I couldn't keep the law. (laughs) And there was another law that went along with this other law. Those who missed their devotional time. Get up early, A+. If you do it some other time during the day, C. C+. (laughs) If you don't miss it all together, F. And you would hear things like, I had a horrible day. Just goes to show you, if you don't get up early, spend time with Jesus, that's what you get. We start attaching blessings and curses to our behaviors. If I don't follow this rule, and it's not even in the Bible, (laughs) it's not like Jesus isn't with you all day long. (laughs) It was ridiculous. But I still hear Christians say it today. 
I missed my time. And if you should miss your time with the Lord for several days, hell's right at your back. <laughs> Obviously, you have backslid. <laughs> you better get serious quick. Do you know how scary that is to somebody who loves Jesus? Who more than anything in the world does not want to be sliding back anywhere? It's crazy. But we do this. Christians do this. And I kept failing and making myself unacceptable. I believed the lies that my sins and failures separated me from him and that he was not happy with me. What they actually preached was behavior modification. Change the way you behave in order to become. That's what behavior modification is. If you follow the rules, change will eventually come. No, it doesn't. There's no power in the doing to make. We live out of what we believe we are. We don't become by doing. Jesus has made me acceptable. And that's what he wants me to live out of, the fact that he has made me acceptable. The truth is, God never rejected me. And he was never mad at me. And he was never crossing his arms and looking down his nose and tapping his foot at me, which is how I saw him most of the time. I almost never felt accepted by God because my performance was never perfect. The problem with performance mentality, though, is you end up going bowling. <laughs> this is how I see it. This is just my brain, okay? Just go with me. <laughs> I call it the bowling alley of grace. You know what a bowling alley looks like. There's the, the place where the ball goes down, and then there's a gutter on each side. You see, the only safe place is in the place of grace. If you get onto performance, you're either going to fall over into self-condemnation, self-rejection, and if you're doing really good, you're an A student, you get up early, ah, self-righteous. <laughs> so when we see our failings and we see our shortcomings, we fall over into that gutter of self-condemnation, of self-rejection. That's exactly what condemnation is. It is rejection. And when we do it right, when we, ah, did it good today, <laughs> fall over into self-righteousness. And you know, pride goeth before a fall. <laughs> so if you live in performance, you are either in one gutter or the other. The only safe place is the place of grace. The place of grace is the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's completely free. Now, this performance mentality leaks over into our lives all the time. It leaked over into my life recently. Old ways of thinking. I decided to put myself under a law so I could change myself. I'm going to start a diet. I'm going to do to become. I went to the Lord and I said, you know, I know this doesn't work, Lord. <laughs> I know doing to become does not work. So how do I succeed? Because you are the success. Doing to become never works. And he said to me, I want you to write down how you feel about losing weight. A little journaling exercise. And so he said, think about it. How do you feel about losing weight? And I said, oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's restrictive. It's not fun. It's excruciating. I hate it. <laughs> and he, you could hear him laugh, you know. He said, that's how you feel about losing weight? I said, yes. He goes, when you look at the scale and you're three pounds down, that's how you feel? Well, no. <laughs> he says, how do you feel when the scale moves down? I'm like, woohoo! 
yes, success. He goes, okay, then why do you think losing weight is horrible? He says, you're thinking wrong. <laughs> you're thinking of the process to become instead of the victory that you already have. We don't do to become. We start with the victory. The law, a diet, will always ignite the flesh. 1 Corinthians 15:56 says this, The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. <laughs> you want to fail? Give yourself a law. <laughs> In Romans 7, it says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. Now this section of scripture is actually Paul talking about his experience prior to receiving Christ. We know that because he says this, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. But what I have found is Christians have unregenerated thinking. We tend to think like the old man that's dead. (laughs) So when we're going to read this, I want you to hear the struggle that Paul talks about. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Does that sound like a diet? Yes. (laughs) Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Again, we can tell this is not a regenerated person. (laughs) A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Most translations translate verse 25 this way. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. But many other translations like the Latin Vulgate and many others say the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So we get a much better understanding. Who will deliver me from the body of death? The grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's how we know he's talking about the unregenerated experience. Because we have been set free from that law of sin and death. But guess what? (laughs) You still have flesh. (laughs) You are not living in the flesh. That's not what your life is, but you have flesh. We have a body, and we have unregenerated thinking. That's flesh, carnal thinking. And so when we think carnally, we walk after the flesh, we incite that law of sin and death. We ignite it and inflame it. So you give yourself a law to follow. That's what gets upset. I and my daughter were talking about dieting and fasting. You ever try to fast? Your body has a fit for two days. (laughs) Your body doesn't like it when it's not in control. (laughs) That's the flesh. We have all the power of Jesus Christ over our flesh. But when you try to put yourself under a law to change, that is the reaction you're going to get. Who has delivered us? God the Father through Christ Jesus. Jesus has finished all the works that needed to be done in order for you and me to be acceptable to our Father. 
We don't have to put ourselves under laws to change. We don't have to put ourselves under laws at all. Jesus fulfilled the law. Matthew 5.17 says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And all was accomplished through Jesus Christ. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Is the end, he is the end of the law for making me right, making me acceptable, making me all that God wants me to be. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus fulfilled all the law. And by God's grace, all of Jesus' obedience is accredited to my account. I no longer have to keep laws in order to be acceptable to my God. So I said, okay, Lord, so what about this diet thing? <laughs> How do I succeed at this? And he says, go back to the finish line. Go back to where Jesus finished the work. We start at the end. We start at the finish line. Jesus bowled a perfect game, <laughs> and he wrote my name on the paper. It belongs to me. His perfection belongs to me. I start from the victory because he has made me complete. He has made me more than a conqueror. We are in the process, though, of becoming what we already are. That's the Christian journey. I am outwardly becoming what I already am. What I saw when he was giving me that little journaling exercise, he says, see yourself at the end of the finish line. What is your perfect weight? What is it that you want to look like? He says, that who you are. That's who you are. When you start to believe that's who you are, that's what you will naturally be able to become. You start from the finish line. You start from the victory. Now, do I have to change some things to walk that out? Absolutely. But guess what? I start from the finish line. I start as a victor. I start as more than a conqueror. I don't have to try to become victorious. I already am. I've already won. I am a healed person resisting sickness. I am a thin person resisting fat. I am a victorious person resisting failure. I am an accepted person resisting rejection. I am a rich person resisting poverty and lack. I am free from the law of sin and death, and I have the mind of Christ. I have the greater one living in me, and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I am what I say I am in Christ. I am what my Jesus says I am. And he says I am victorious. The truth is we must see the reality of who we really already are in our spirit. We must see ourselves in our heart the way our Father sees us in his heart. I am accepted in the beloved. We cannot add anything to the finished works of Jesus Christ. The works are more than sufficient to make me acceptable. But you might be wondering, what about those unacceptable things that happen once in a while? What does God think about sin? 2 Corinthians 5.19 In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to them the message of reconciliation. God's not counting my mistakes, my failures, and my sins against me. Does that mean I just run amok and sin? <laughs> no, because I live out of who I am. I don't live according to my flesh. I live out who I already am. How does God look at sin in the life of a believer? I like the way Joseph Prince puts it. Sin is to God what cancer is in the body of your child. You would despise 
cancer in the body of your child. You would do everything in your power to destroy it, destroy its power to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's how God sees sin. He sees it for what it really is. Satan tries to say, oh, sin is fun. This will scratch that itch. This will meet that need. God says, it's cancer. It steals, it kills, and destroys. Why would you want that in your life? That's how God sees sin, and he wants us to see it the same way he sees it. Because when we see it for what it is, we won't want any part of it. So while God despises sin, it never affects his love and acceptance of us. We would never reject our child under any circumstances, certainly not because they had cancer. That's how ridiculous it is to think that when we sin, our father would reject us. He has already dealt with sin. Sin is not an issue for him anymore. He says, I have removed it. I'm not even counting it against you. But don't let death and sickness and poverty come back into your life. It's not who you are. It's not who I am. Ephesians 1.6 says, The Father has made us accepted in the Beloved. In both Matthew and Luke, the Father refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Our Father is well pleased with Jesus because of who Jesus is. But it is because of Jesus' work that he is well pleased with us. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, our Father would have to reject all of mankind. That's an amazing thought. Without Jesus Christ, no one would ever know heaven, ever. So what does it mean to be accepted? In Greece, it's keritouo. That's the grace word, the Greek word for grace. It means to endue with special honor, to make accepted, to be highly favored. I like what Webster says, to accept means to receive willingly, to regard with approval, to value, to esteem, to take pleasure in, or to receive with favor. To really get the understanding of what it means to be accepted, you have to really think of what it means to be rejected. Everyone's been rejected. We know what rejection feels like. Even minor rejection from people we don't even know. Somebody gives you a certain hand gesture when you're driving. (laughs) You're like, hey! We don't like rejection on any level. We were not designed for rejection. But when rejection comes close, when it's family, when it's friends, when it's yourself. You see, the truth is, we are the worst ones at rejecting us. We're the most guilty for rejecting us. But the answer to being healed from rejection is the acceptance of our Father. Charles Spurgeon said this, The born-again believer does not stand before God in any righteousness of his own. He does not plead any merit of his own before the divine throne. But through grace, he has been received into the very heart of God. Not merely forgiven, not merely justified, not merely washed from his sins or cleansed from his defilement, but received in loving kindness to the very heart of the Father and according to the Father's estimate of his own beloved Son. God loves you the same exact way he loves Jesus Christ. As pleased as he is with what Jesus has done and accomplished, that same pleasure is yours. He has placed us in the beloved, the beloved in whom he is well pleased. We are as accepted as he is. Can you imagine the Father ever on any level trying to reject the Lord Jesus Christ? 
your mind goes, bunk. It doesn't work. Of course not. We have that same acceptance. When I was reading this, the Lord gave me this wonderful picture. It just kept ringing in my head and in my heart into the very heart of the Father. Received into the very heart of the Father. The Lord said, do you know, remember how you felt when you received Christ? When Christ came into your life and that joy and that peace and that delight came in? I said, yeah, I do. And he showed me a picture of the Father. And he says, when you received Christ, I reached in and got you, and I pulled you into my heart. And all of that joy, and all of that delight, and all of that pleasure was mine, because you came into my heart. You are in the Father's heart. Christ is in our heart. We are in our Father's heart. He so loves us. He so accepts us. And that is the the power of His love. When we realize that He will never reject me. Never reject me. I'm part of His heart. I am His delight. Just as much as Jesus. So my challenge for you is this. See and receive the acceptance of the Father. The Father took you into Himself. You are now part of the Father's heart. You are in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can't get any more God. (laughs) There isn't any more God for you to get. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with the infilling power of all that God is and all that God has done, if we know who we are and whose we are, there is nothing that can stand against us. We are more than conquerors, not because we're good fighters, but because we're good receivers. I receive who I am. I receive my Father's love. I receive my Father's acceptance. I receive my Father's power. I receive my Father's plan. I receive my Father's provision. I am in my Father's heart. And so are you. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word and for the truth for the truth of who you really are. I thank you for the grace that makes me melt into a puddle of tears. I thank you for the love that changes everything in me and for me. Father God, I ask that you would impart to your children the truth, that they would see themselves being received into your very own heart, into your very own heart of absolutely free love and kindness. Father God, I ask that you would remind them every time they try to put themselves under a law that the law has been fulfilled and that we stand in the place of grace. We stand in the victory. The war is over and the victory has been given to us, crowned on us. We are crowned with your glory. We're crowned with your love and your loving kindness. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.